when they said that, I, I got really serious about the business of being a good girl and um, taking care of my sister. But I think I wrongly assumed that I couldn't go to adults anymore for help. And around that time, um, I discovered in my grandparents' home, in my parents' home, adult reading material. Um, I was getting deeper and deeper into it and began to understand that I needed to keep it secret, that it wasn't appropriate for my age. Just looking for pornography and just the activities that were entering into my world, I think really by about 11, I had developed a sexual addiction. I needed it to be calm. And looking at it more through um, kind of a tainted worldly perspective, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, I, all I want to do is have fun. And I just don't want to process anything anymore. And I, I don't, I don't want uh, the weight of that. And, and so, you know, which is one of the realities of what perseverance means is to remain under. They had never had a girl come to them and say she struggled with masturbation. That was the test thing I threw out there. And, um, and they handled it really badly. It had such an effect on me that I, I was living kind of perpetually depressed, not because of the identity as much as I had just given up the fight. When I began to make friendships. It, that's all that mattered to me. I, I went from this place of kind of starving relationally and not even really knowing it, just kind of being numb to connecting with people. And all of a sudden there was this voracious desire and appetite to, to have friendships. Really lead me to an encounter with Jesus that was undeniable. Um, it started with the understanding I was mm. being forgiven of guilt, the guilt of sin. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us for another Love and Truth Network podcast. Whether you're joining us through uh, Love and Truth Network or a connection there or through Transforming Congregations and a connection through the United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church, we are so glad that you're here. And it's a fun thing to be able every week or so when I'm not just doing a monologue to be able to introduce you to guests, to friends, many, many people that I've known for a long time, some people that I've become relatively newly aware of. But in this case, uh, Laura Lee is with us, and she and I have been friends for many years and uh, really consider her to be a ministry partner with all the amazing work that she's been doing for many years and just thrilled that she's here with us and that you get a chance to get to know her a little bit. And so, Laura Lee, thanks for joining us for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey, I, um, you and I have known each other, goodness, for I don't even know now. It's been it's been a lot of years, and I think we first probably got connected through uh, Desert Stream Ministries and Living Waters, and that has been such a blessing to me. Andrew Kamiski and the amazing work that that he and his ministry have been doing for whatever forty two or forty three years uh, is just incredible. And there's been so many connections made around the country, and in some cases around the world through the the ministry of Desert Stream. And we love, love Andy, love that ministry, love the people on staff there. And, uh, but you and I have connected in multiple ways there. And um, it's just been a fun uh, and blessing, uh, fun relationship and blessing to be connected with you and your husband, uh, Mark as well. So, um, but having said all of that, 
the um, if you you know have anything you want to uh, share about that down the road is fine in our in our podcast. But if um, you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit with us about your story and for those watching or listening to be able to kind of hear a little bit about where God you know, met you, where you met him, what life was like before, and um, what life has been like since. From where I began to where I am now, Yes. when I do the look back, I'm about to have my 33rd spiritual birthday. And um, when, when I think wow. about where I was awesome. in January on January 27th, 1990, I had, I had completely surrendered to mm. a belief about myself. And um, and it, it had such an effect on me that I, I was living in, kind of perpetually depressed, not because of the identity as much as I had just given up the fight mm. um, in myself and said, well, whatever I am, whatever whatever my life is supposed to be, this is it, you know? And, um, I didn't really know that, that I was yeah. prone to depression. I didn't really know that I was that kind of person, but I began to understand because it, it really took over. Mm. So, uh, so my story, um, my, my family was a really good family. Not, I'm not even exaggerating or, putting a nice coat of paint on it. It was a really good family. My mom and dad really loved each other and um, how they got started. My dad was my mom's boss and he realized within just a few months of hiring her that she was a, she was somebody he was interested in. Um, they both used to say with a twinkle in their eyes that he made her mm. life hard as a, under her, under him, not because uh, he wanted to do that, but he was just resisting his his interest in her. And uh, she worked; he worked her really hard and made her stay late. And um, but when they finally realized that there was some interest mm. there, he he fired her because the company had a really hard policy, and they began to pursue a romance. And um, they got married. Yeah. And I came along nine months and just a few days later. So um, from the very beginning, they mm. wow. they they communicated with me and then my sister when she was born that we were wanted and we were loved. Uh, in fact, my sister's baby book said our family is complete. You know, they were they were pleased with what their life had been and. Um, mm. they were kind of a typical couple of the sixties. He was, he was upwardly mobile. He was a, a management guy. And, um, but when I was seven years old, um, something mm. happened in our family that kind of changed the dynamic for all of us. My mom became ill and was diagnosed mm. uh, a few years later with multiple scler sclerosis. And <clears throat> I was seven. And so there were, there were a lot of fears that came into our family at that point. Uh, wow. You know, that it felt insecure to all of us. Even when, uh, in later years, when I would talk with my mom, she, I'd say that was such a significant point for me too. And she said, I, I barely remember 
my daughters for a couple of years because it was such a consuming uh, fight for her. Uh, so when when we mm. had that, my family um, got tighter. Uh, my my mom and dad kind of got on the battleground of how to fight what what was happening with my mom. My grandparents came in and were tight. Our neighbors came in around us and they were tight. Um, everybody was helping us survive, but mm. um, the adults around me said something that uh, I guess any adult would say to any kid. It wasn't abusive. It wasn't meant to be harsh, but, you know, be a good girl. Uh, don't bother your mom. Take good care of mm -hmm. your sister. Um, mm. But maybe it was just because of that, where I was in my age. Maybe it was just, mm. um, you know, how my mind worked. I, I had lived kind of, um, I was a little bit precocious at the time, <laughs> you know, lived in an adult world. And um, so when, <laughs> when they said that, I, I got really serious about the business of being a good girl and um, taking care of my sister but I think I wrongly mm. assumed that I couldn't go to adults anymore for help. And around that time, um, I discovered in my grandparents' mm. home, in my parents' home, adult reading material, bath bathroom readers. They were humorous. They had little cartoons in them. And um, for me, mm. I you know, I'd become an avid reader in that couple of years range and um i i was reading this material and began to understand mm -hmm. adult humor adult innuendo um then i found in my parents and grandparents home pornography and i found a strange kind of comfort in that even when i was young mm -hmm. i knew i knew that i was finding comfort in it it helped me be calm and um and really just dove into that now, in the years that immediately followed, I became, I, I, I guess I had an understanding of where to find that in anybody's home. I knew where to look. And um, I guess I, I guess looking back, yeah. I know that I was, I had developed an appetite for it. We didn't, I wouldn't have ever called it what I would call it now, you know, as a kid. So I just look at dirty books. Um, uh, but I also know that some of that understanding, the things that I understood were, were beyond my emotional ability to handle it. And so even though I found um, comfort in the images, mm. even though there was comfort in um, just finding the reading and then later, um, the introduction of other things that were comforting as well, things like masturbation and um, just the, the fantasy world was unlocked. What I found at, during those years is um, I was getting deeper and deeper into it and began to understand that I needed to keep it secret, that it wasn't appropriate for my age and that um, I understood. So I began to hide mm. what I was doing where, in the earlier years, I didn't, I was. Um, as I look back and I just look at the progress of just looking for pornography, 
and just the activities that were entering into my world, I think really by about 11, I had developed a sexual addiction. I needed it to be calm. And then in, when I was 12, okay. yep. I I met a girl who had interests like mine. She was interested in pornography. She was interested in experimentation. And even though I had begun to be an experimenter in the years before with her, um, it was really my first introduction into same-sex simul- uh, mutual desire. and. At that point, I I think instead of really being interested mm-hmm. in everything, I began to be more interested in just the one thing. And uh, and it really just went on like that. Um, I, I, and the and the one yeah, thing with, being with her, her. and the one thing and, being same sex uh, attraction with her or her and novels and so my okay. imaginary yeah. world yeah. and then her. And yes. we developed mm-hmm. an, an emotional bond. Um, she was really my top preference um, uh, among my friends. And I did have friends, but she she would be the one mm-hmm. I would want to spend time with. And so I was really, yeah, we were the same age. So, And she was about the same age? It okay. progressed just like that for a little longer. And, um, and then an, another hit came to our family. My dad was diagnosed when I was in 10th grade with Mm. late stage cancer, and I lost him in my 11th grade year. And what that, the effect that that had, um, coupled with some other things surrounding my life, like I I wasn't very flexible when we made changes. I wasn't very easygoing about school changes. I wasn't easygoing about classroom changes. I, um, things rattled my security pretty easily. Mm. So when my dad got sick, I really was looking, um, for comfort. And I, I, I began to develop, uh, a relationship with the church. I began to be really introduced to deeper things of God. I, I had a loose connection with church, but it was deeper at that point. And I began to explore life with Jesus as part of my answer, mm. possibly not for the same sex desire, but like, why was I so anxious? I just really wanted to know why, why I felt so troubled all the time and why I wasn't, wasn't mm. thriving in most of my life. And, um, I would, I would swing back and forth between overachieving and underachieving was never i was never really just in the middle i would either knock it out of the ball all mm. out of the ballpark or then i would just fail and um it was sort of the, yep. the pattern and rhythm of my life but when my dad died mm-hmm. uh my mom you know her handicap was still there my little sister was a couple of years younger than me um a, kind of the lion's share of worry landed on me nobody tried to put it on me but I just sort of took it. And um, I, hmm. I know that I was not speaking to any adult in, at all about any of my need uh, until um, my senior year when I went to our youth pastor and just said, you know, I, 
I don't know what to do with this, but I, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with my thoughts. We had language for that, but like they had never had a girl come to them and say she struggled with masturbation. That was the test thing I threw out there. And, um, and they handled it really badly. Uh, they, yep. they said something to me that mm. kind of influenced me. They said, one of that, what the youth pastor said to me, mm. you know, girls don't struggle with that. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I it didn't yes. make me think I was a guy, yeah. but from then on, I felt like yes. I was different from all other girls. And I don't think I thought that before, but it was pretty influential. Yeah. And about two years later, mm-hmm. um, when I went to my pastor and said that I was suicidal, he handed me a pamphlet. And, you know, how to know if you're suicidal, which the answer was yes. But it was just so despairing. I was just, it was just a ridiculous amount of despair and people (laughs) being afraid to engage with that in a helpful way. Um, Yes. uh, So I stumbled my way through Mm. uh, the end of high school and stumbled my way through most of college. And then uh, really the addiction, uh, the addictive side the emotional mm. deprivation that I was feeling, the things, the despair that I was feeling really began to t- take over. And I started struggling with my thoughts in a way that was um, really scary to me. I, I just felt like I was being compelled all the time, compelled mm. to do this or that. And all of it just seemed extreme and dangerous. And I, the the things that I thought, the things that I believed, just see, were not did not make sense. They defied my own logic, but I couldn't get a grip on them. I couldn't make them stop. I just felt really tortured. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, look right now, just jumping ahead, it's like these these in combination, you know this question about my identity and my place, this question about the addiction, if there's help, and really even religious guilt. I had religious guilt. Um, and I just I just couldn't solve my own problem. And um, so things like, you know, are you doing what you can do to help yeah. your depression? You know, are you getting good rest and eating regular meals? You know, it's like nobody, nobody could get to, nobody tried to get to what was going on, even though I'd present myself to helpers. So really the, the idea Mm. that I didn't want to be alive anymore was pretty predominant. Um, I, I was so unsound in my thinking by that point. Um, yeah, and I just couldn't solve the problem. And so Really, in the college years, I made a couple of suicide attempts, um, and but I thought about it all the time, and uh, mm, yeah, I was asked fairly recently, you know, were any of your attempts serious? And I think I think that my attempts were serious. I just uh, was very mm. disorganized. In, in in a plan. I was the same things that were tormenting me were tormenting me that way too. I I didn't formulate a plan. So 
so I exited yeah. college ahead of graduation and the uh, a lot of my college performance had been pretty good, but um, when I was swinging into this depression, you know, it, it was just uh, also erratic. And so I, I would give my energy to the things I was interested in, and I wouldn't give any yes. energy to the things I wasn't interested in. And when I exited college, I moved home with, with my family. Uh, my mom had remarried after my dad's death. Um, and they housed me for a little while. I tried to get some work. And I guess it was just the point that the Lord decided, this is, I'm going to claim this woman's life. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, everything was set up around me mm-hmm. to um, really lead me to an encounter with Jesus that was undeniable. Um, it started with the understanding I was mm-hmm. being forgiven of guilt the guilt of sin. And um, I was at a women's retreat. They had surrounded the building it was odd. It was just an odd, it's an odd memory for me that we all surrounded this building that we were going to meet in. And we all laid hands on the building mm. and prayed that no demonic spirit would enter into that room. And when mm. I picked up my stuff to walk into the building, I had this experience of something really pulling out of my mind and um, that night, that night, I received Christ. Wow. Um, I received forgiveness of sin for the first time in mm. my life. Mm. Uh, and the initial honeymoon was really good. Um, maybe six months went, it went, it was, I was growing. Mm. I had some understanding of how he was touching me, how he loved me. Yep. And there was, uh, he was like getting into my heart really well. Uh, but I met this girl. Actually, I met two girls and we formed a friendship and we fellowshiped together. And I had no idea that, that I was in danger. It was just, I had, I had friends and, um, I loved and appreciated mm-hmm. them, but I, I had friends. Yeah. And, in hindsight, wow, they both struggled with homosexual desire. And um, I ended up moving in with one of them, not knowing mm. that fact. And the very night that I moved in with her was my first uh, my first encounter as an adult. Um, even though I'd had many other kinds of interactions with people, over the years, it was my first encounter as an adult with, uh, by my choice, that was same-sex desire, even though I didn't know that about her later. It just felt like it happened. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was my fault. Um, mm-hmm. And we were together for three and a half years. It was the only mm-hmm. long-term relationship I ever had been in. I'd been in some brief encounters over the years. Um just happenstance things that just didn't uh, just seemed like they happened. They were part of addiction, Mm -hmm. but in this case, it felt like commitment. I was trying to stabilize myself. I clung to her so hard, trying to be at peace, trying to be at rest. And um, 
but but the relationship started kind of dissolving into broken relating. Um, we we got in a cycle of fighting, and we couldn't see eye to eye on things, and um, I was becoming increasingly isolated. And I didn't want that because really through college, I had been pretty isolated as well. Uh, I didn't know that, um, I didn't know what to call mm-hmm. this. I, I wasn't calling it a lesbian affair. It just uh, just seemed, I don't know, seemed like emotional. It seemed committed, you know, but it was, it was so um, stressful to me. Uh so I made a decision, and it, it really had nothing to do with God or anything about my faith, or it. But I made a decision to move, and um, when I moved, it put a lot of pressure on our relationship, and the cycle of fighting escalated. It became more, uh, more vocal, more mean and more manipulative physical sometimes and um and i i spent a lot of time being embarrassed now i it was just an odd particular thing i felt embarrassed when we would fight like that i uh i know now a little bit how my personality works but i was embarrassed because of my personality i i just felt like i was failing and um failing her failing me um, and then, and then one night, and it's like, I don't want to TMI anybody, but we had been in the cycle of breaking up and making up. And it was during one of those making up portions of the cycle that Jesus decided to encounter me in a, in a new way. And I, you know, I don't know what anybody else thinks about mystical experiences with Jesus, but I feel like he showed up in my in my living room and spoke to me with an audible voice. Um, the way the way it feels in my soul, the way it still mm. re- feels to my body is I can still feel the physical feeling of his voice. Uh, all I have to do is pause, and I remember. But his, his mm. words to me. Um, in that moment, in that vulnerable place that I was, was, I love you. What are you doing? And, um, if I were, if I were to put a sound Mm. effect on it, it would be like taking the needle and putting it on the vinyl record and going, it just shifted everything. And, um, so over the next couple of days, um, I, I reached out for help. Um, in that moment, I just said, I'm done. I am absolutely done with this. Get away with me. I don't know what's going, don't know what's going on here, but, um, God talked to me is what I said to her, but I I felt embarrassed that I thought he was actually in the room. Mm. And, um, so I reached out to our church and uh, a friend of mine was getting ready to, testify that weekend at church his name is dennis jernigan and for for people who were um kind of early Uh. in in these journeys dennis jernigan wrote a really significant uh album for a lot of us called break my heart oh god and uh, but that night he was sharing 
his testimony. And I did not relate. I did not personally relate to his testimony Hmm. of coming out of homosexual desire. But I did relate to his testimony about the despair, the futility of it all. And he sang a song that night. Uh, The lyric goes something like this. I, I wish I could take your heart into my heart. I wish I could show you just how good it feels to let go of the things that you know are killing you and cling to the only one who can heal. Um, And then what I heard in that was the Lord answer saying to me again, I love you. So I answered the altar call that night and um, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I didn't go up to repent of, lesbian relating i went up saying i'm in a i'm in a relationship that i can't get out of and the ladies who were praying with me i i wanted them to pray for me and pray out loud um but we just stood there for a really long time and the lord just got got close to me and um, i found myself saying i can't help myself I need you to help me. Mm. And um, the next morning, I went back to the church service. It was a Saturday night, Sunday morning church service. I sat in the balcony. Uh, Nothing didn't, it felt like nothing had changed. But when the altar call happened, I saw my girlfriend also walk down. And that was intriguing but frightening. Uh, I, f- I felt like my turning point was going to be really awkward. This felt like it was going to be a weird experience of a turnaround. But um, I got up out of the balcony mm. and um, went to the church offices. I found somebody and I said, I need to hide out here for a little while. Um, and then later that day, I reached out, and uh, the pastor's family took me in for a week. I said, I need I need to be unreachable. This is in the old days when people didn't have cell phones with them everywhere. And uh, I just needed to not be wow. in my home. Um, right, right. And in that week, the, the Holy Spirit took advantage of some things in my own heart. My, my, the beginning of real openness, the, the beginning of acknowledging my need. The beginning of saying, I can't help mm. myself. I need you to help me, God. Um, and the Holy Spirit began to really uh, unfold. I felt I felt really uh, like I was supposed to write down every sexual sin, every sexual thought that I could remember. I didn't know that he was reminding me. I didn't know he was doing this work. But I began to write it down, and I was I was filling up pages, and I was devastated. It was like for the first time I looked at it, it was like, gosh, you know, this mm. is um, this wasn't just a couple of things that would happen here and there. It was a persistent thing, and I didn't I didn't know that about myself. So, um, so the Holy Spirit and I made this inventory, and um. During that week, I said, well, what am I going to do with this? So I asked the pastor's wife, I said, what am I, I going to do with this stuff? And she said, I don't know, you know, 
you know, maybe you should talk to so-and-so about it. And uh, I said, okay. But she said something that was really profound. And it, it's funny um, when I think about it, such a simple thing. She said, she said, Laura, she said that the Lord promises, makes promises to people who overcome. He makes promises to them. And she said, if you want to read about it, you can go read the first few chapters of mm. uh, Revelation. And I saw, mm. I saw um, in these verses of Revelation, here's a, here's a church that wants to do right, but they're not doing right. Here's a church that kind of walks in the truth, but they don't walk in truth. Here's a church that kind of cares about people, but they don't, you know. And, um, and to each one, they, the Lord mm-hmm. said, to him who overcomes, I will. And um, so at the end of that week, I got together with an, a trusted other adult uh, who could handle the depth of this confession, or I thought she could. It was pretty funny. And she said, yes, I'll hear you, I'll hear you and we'll, we'll do something with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Anna began to read through the confession. and. I could tell pretty early on, she was like, oh my gosh, how how much is there going to be there? You know, how long is this going to take? And, uh, but when we got to the end of it, she just let me talk it all out. Mm. And when we got to the end, she said, you know, I feel like we should just start over. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, are you kidding me? Start over this list. And she said, what we're going to ask is we're going to say, we're going to ask Jesus, where was my way of escape? And I don't, the Lord just chose to use that. Um, I was, I was always sensitive. I was always aware uh, of myself and what happened in that, that next period of time is in many, many, many situations I could, I could see a place where I was making a clear choice to not do right by my own conscience and just to shut off my conscience and pursue mm. what I was pursuing. And what happened for me in that time, it didn't feel miraculous. It didn't feel amazing. It didn't feel powerful. It felt like um, just, I don't yeah. know, ridiculous. It felt my list was ridiculous. <laughs> it was just so much stuff. But what happened is I, I began to own <laughs> my own choices in some of the things that I was doing. And later in the list, places where I knew it was the Lord telling me that I knew, knew better. In other words, I always had a way of escape, but I was shutting down my conscience over, over the course of my life. Yeah. And the Lord met me. Um, it, it was, not exciting. It wasn't great. But what happened um, is we turned the corner and um, I began to clean my life and clean my thoughts and clean my world of things that were attached to my former manner of life. And some of these things are things that people don't talk about so much anymore. They Things like, you know, getting getting rid of things that were attached to memorabilia that was attached to people, um, clothing. Yeah. Right. I, I was just, I got really crazy about it. Or, I just started yeah, any, like, Oh yep. yeah. I remember wearing this when, 
out it would go. Um, even even a lot of my Christian music at the time. So yep. that you know, as a Christian and I was participating in it. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon I got my little apartment down to a bed and a few items of clothing and nearly no decor because it was just all wrapped up in memories. I feel like the Lord really honored that Mm -hmm. desire in me to be breaking free. And um, so I never, at at that point in my life, I never again went back to homosexual desire. Uh, Fast forward just a few years, I had gotten introduced to Desert Stream Ministries um, in the late 90s. We'd been doing a program called Pursuing Sexual Wholeness in our group in Oklahoma City. I'd begun to serve people. Um, I didn't feel like I was as free as I could be. And so I went to a a Living Waters training. And it was at that, at a Living Waters training, the Lord uh, met me. Um, You know, how I would talk about it now is just, uh, he, he actually took me to the time and place when my mom got sick. And fear entered into my heart. And and he chose to minister. It was just, it was just a lady stayed with mm-hmm. me in praying while my mind was just thinking through this history. And I began to talk with Jesus about, yeah. about things. And Jesus told me the absolute truth in my heart. Um, things that really pulled the fear down. You know, I asked Jesus, uh, is my mom going to be okay? And I remember thinking, of course she's going to be okay. I mean, look at all these years later, we're, we're, we still have her. Um, but Jesus said in that seven-year-old memory, no, she's not going to be okay. And I knew it was true. He didn't lie to me. And then I said to him, am I going to be okay? And my mind knew, hey, I am walking with Jesus. Everything is fine. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I knew that his answer was going to be yes. But Jesus said, no, you're not going to be okay. He was talking to the seven-year-old, but I'm here. And it it had this amazing effect Mm. of just like uprooting. It just like pulled it out by the roots, this fear-based world that had driven all this addiction, driven all this darkness in me. And that was, that was in 1999. Mm. I'd been walking with Jesus uh, nine years at the point that that happened, but he began to heal me of fears. And I began to understand the living waters material differently. I began to see how fear had influenced my view of myself, my femininity, my capability. Um, he he was delivering me, delivering me by mm. by that I mean he's setting me free from this strong control of fear in my life. And and then and he did. And I've never gone back to any form of sexual addiction since that time. Um now in the years since Jesus is still resolving things in my mm. heart. I've been walking with him for a really long time. Um he he about seven years ago, started addressing that despair that I was talking about a while ago, that propensity to depression. Um, 
And he has taught me to resist that. It is not true. It's not my destiny. It isn't that I, you know, it isn't that I can't be low, but I can't let it. I can't let that darkness sit with me. Um, He won't let me. It's part of our fight. Yes. Um, He he has restored in Mm -hmm. uh, 19 years ago. um, I married. married Mark Stanlake, the fear of opposite sex relating and the fear of community of commitment. The Lord had been healing. It led to marriage. Um, the Lord's used some uh, quite a bit of time to hear, mm-hmm. heal me and my relationship with my mom and also my dad, it, even though my dad's been gone a long time. Um, I was a caregiver for my mom and I'll, we had a lot of honest mm-hmm. talking in those years. So, um, I'm still on that journey. And so even though we talk about other stuff from here, it's like, he's still at work in me. Um, I've never, I have never reached an arrival point. I don't know if people do, but I haven't, uh, he's still at work on me. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love that. I mean, it's so true. I, I agree with you. On the, I don't think none of us. Hopefully, none none of us actually reach a place where we feel that we've we mm-hmm. that we're finished. You know, that actually, I don't think would be yeah. a great thing in this life. That's for sure. Uh, there's always the opportunity of becoming. There's always. I love the the phrase in yeah. uh, in Living Waters and in Desert Stream Ministries of of the more. You know, there's there's always more. Um, you know, and there and depending on how you look at it, I had a friend who turned around and went back to the world. And, and one of the things that, that just kind of consumed him and we had many conversations Mm -hmm. around this, but he hated the, he hated the idea of process. I'm so sick of processing. I'm so sick of, and, and certainly that is not all we're called to, to be sure. I mean, there are, there, there is recreation and, and, and fun and enjoyment even in the in in the midst of the processing or around the processing, but this idea that uh, you know when he would think of the idea right. of more, for me it's this this more right. to become this this greater opportunity that lies out before us of this right. this invitation of God to become more and more like Him to to become more and more free and for Him and looking at it more through. Um, kind of a tainted worldly perspective. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I all I want to do is have fun, and I just don't want to process anything anymore. And I, I don't, I don't want uh, the weight of that. And and so, you know, which is one of the one of the realities of what perseverance means is to remain under. And and so I, I agree with you. And it's interesting, Laura Lee, when I listen to you uh, share, and I've known a lot about you, but there's some things that you shared in in your story that mm-hmm. I didn't know before. And there's a lot of ways that my story and yours intersect in terms of like when you're sharing about college and about this, you, know, you could do really well and I did the same. But then when I started making friends, which frankly took a long time because I was very, very um, yeah. socially inept and uh, frightened of every little thing. And, and so when I began to make friendships, it, that's all that mattered to me. I, I went from this place of kind of starving relationally and not even really knowing it, just kind of being numb to connecting with people. And all of a sudden, there was this voracious desire and appetite to uh, to to have friendships. But of course, the way that I always yeah. wound up damaging them because it would very quickly lead to emotional dependency and those kinds of things. But 
all of my attention went into that. And now, um, what I was no longer interested in, which were my courses, uh, that, that kind of went out the window and depression was a big part of my, um, experience as well. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I want to, um, quitting college twice and then getting kicked out <laughs> finally in the end. Um, and, uh, thankfully I can laugh about that today, but it wasn't funny at the time. That's yeah. for darn sure. But anyway, there's a lot of things that you shared that, that, remind me of some of the experiences, you know, that I, that I had as well. So Laura Lee, thank you so much for just taking the time to share your story with us here in this first part of our podcast. Uh, and just some of the other things that we've chatted about yeah. here in this first, po first podcast. And there's a lot more to discuss, uh, friends. So if you've turned into this, uh, and you're watching or listening to what we're talking about, make sure that you tune in next week for the second part of the follow-up of my discussion here with Laura Lee. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. Please join us next week for part two of this interview.